Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mass Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What is up, guys? A season of fun has come to an end, Jaren. The 2022-23 Dallas Mavericks are no more. They go out with the as the 11th seed in the Western Conference, missing the play-in and the NBA playoffs in its entirety at a record of 38-44. and 44. Their last two games, they pulled a um, sort of tank job of Epic proportions, uh, as denoted by lots of uh, NBA fans around the the league, but I guess we can debate the severity of it um, as we'll get into it during this podcast, of course. But they lost to the Chicago Bulls at home, uh, 115 to 112, and then the San Antonio Spurs at home, 138 to 117, and the last game of the season. In both instances, they sat uh, multiple key role players, and in that um, Spurs game, they were without Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. In the Bulls game, Luka Doncic only played merely the first quarter. It's been a sort of quick wrap-up and turnaround ever since that Kings game when we last podcasted, and we had planned on doing a podcast after both games, but we pulled you guys out on Twitter if we should podcast after um, both of the games concluded since, you know, it was – after that Bulls game being the penultimate game of the season, if you know we want to just wait to go a little bit more big picture and talk after the Spurs game, or if we should just cover the games individually, um, you guys voted, I believe, in a um, two-thirds margin that we should cover the both of the games after they happen. So that's what we're doing, and it's going to be a little bit more of a big picture-paced podcast, given that the Mavericks just ended their season, of course. Um, but Jaron, before we, of course, get into this podcast, you have anything right off the bat in terms of, uh, you know, wrapping up your first season as a Mavs podcaster for the 2022-23 Dallas Mavericks season? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, there's going to be at least in our world for I feel like at least like the next five years, we're not going to be able to cover another season like this where the expectations were so high. Well, we at least uh, hope so. Wait, what was that? I said we at least hope so. Yeah, we at least hope so. Yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, I don't feel like you're going to cover a season again, at least in the next five years, where the, se- the expectations were so high to begin the year. And seemingly throughout the whole entire season, the Mavericks were handed a bone of, you know, disparity and bad luck, uh, whether it was through, you know, the trade market or just throughout key games. Um, but yeah, I, you know, this was a very weird season to start. So I, I think it's definitely going to be one where, you know, you look back on and you're like, what the hell happened there? Uh, but it was definitely fun. I appreciated the time. Um, and I, I do feel like if we went back and listened to our first podcast, which was over the off season last year, um, you know, we've probably grown exponentially. Um, so I, I think, you know, in terms of just growth and everything, I, I really do feel like we've grown a lot. So, But I am excited to move forward. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of dreading this season along, especially those last few weeks. So I'm kind of glad it's over. I won't lie. I think it would have been fun to cover some playoff basketball, but 
at the end of the day, you know, this Mavericks team probably isn't going to get a top 10 pick or uh, a projected top 10 pick, at least for, you know, the next half decade or so. So uh, I think I'm more so looking forward to that than covering playoff basketball for uh, at least this offseason. But I mean, you don't have much of a choice now, do you? you know, I do. I do not have much of a choice. Yeah. You know? Ask me four days ago, I would have a choice. But uh, yeah, yeah, we do not have much of a choice now. So I guess, you know, how do you feel about the conclusion of this season, this weird season? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely poised and ready to cover the playoffs. I mean, really, even a week or two ago, I was, you know, getting a sort of a, there was definitely an exciting aura in the air. And, you know, given we had never co- covered games of that magnitude before, I was just really enamored about how collectively invested the fan base was going to be and, you know, being able to, you know, experience that. Um you know, being on Twitter with other Mavs fans and stuff, that was going to be a first thing for first time thing for us. And I was excited about that, but obviously it did not come into fruition, but the whole, you know, draft lottery coming up on May 16th and the lead up to if the Mavericks, you know, will have a top 10 pick that's obviously captivating. So, you know, there's no shortage of content this off season, especially with the changes that the Mavericks are expected to make. And that's not just coming from us, but of course, head coach, Jason Kidd, and uh, I believe the post-game pressure of the Bulls game, it could have been the Spurs, but I'm pretty sure it's the Bulls game. And, uh, you know, there was obviously a, a pretty much a preconceived notion that that would be the case, but uh, he confirmed our, um, our you know, desires as well as our um, probably our, our thoughts in terms of what the Mavericks would do this offseason. Um, well, maybe not what they would do this offseason, but just from the standpoint that they'll we'll likely, likely, oh, my God likely be some sort of semblance of a roster overhaul um, this offseason. So uh, it's definitely going to have no shortage of stuff that we're going to be putting out um, multiple times a week for you guys. We're really excited to cover um, this period. We appreciate you guys for having listened this far in our podcast journey. If you guys you know, are, are new listeners or if you're day one listeners, we really do appreciate you guys for sticking with us throughout this long and treacherous season because you know there's definitely been times where I don't think I would have listened to our podcast given the nature of some of these games so for those of you guys that like stuck through you know and stayed tried and true despite the state of the team or what was happening uh, with how dreadful the Maverick situation was uh, we really do appreciate that and uh, that does mean a lot to us so other than that um, we're really we're going to get into a lot of things in this episode, you know, just in terms of like the tank job the Mavericks did and our thoughts on it and, you know, what exactly, you know, if, if you want to call it a tank job, I guess, you know, that's that's up to you. I think that we would probably both denote it as one, but, you know, we'll yeah. talk about the area that the NBA's investigation upon that, the, the waning weeks of the season, um, and we'll kind of just pose what are some of the questions Mavericks have going into this offseason. We're obviously going to have a lot more podcasts to go in depth into those specific questions, but we're just going to look at some things that like face value like that. But before we get into all of that, of course, here's an ad from our sponsor, Spotify for Podcasters. All right, Jaron. So obviously this isn't really going to be the focus or centripetal thing that we are going to be covering during this podcast, but we'd be doing ourselves a disservice if we did not mention the Bulls in the Spurs game and Um, how those fared out for the Mavericks. Um, Obviously not going to go too in-depth into anything here, but did you want to touch up 
on how those games played out um, quite, you know, briefly, just give us a little sequential breakdown of, of how everything went in those two games. And, uh, you know, more so, I guess we'll talk about the Bulls game first. From your perspective, what, what emotions did you experience throughout the course of watching that game as you, um, <laughs> as you saw it from top to bottom? Do we do we want to tell the truth or do we want to have a fabricated version? Do um, I think that, you know, you tell the truth, but um, also, you know, preface how that doesn't necessarily have to be everybody's opinion and everybody is about okay. to fan how they want. Yeah, we see. Yeah, we choose to fan how we want over here on mainstream maps. But, you know, if we're telling the full, complete truth here, uh, me and William Miller, while at work, we were kind of um, going for the Chicago Bulls. And for obvious reasons, you know, I, I think that everyone knows why, uh, just due to the variety or not variety, yeah, just due to the, you know. Yes. I mean, obviously game. not just from the perspective that the Mavericks, you know, were not, were mailing in and not wanting to make the plan, yeah. but the Chicago Bulls were tied with them record wise at the yeah, time. Tied record wise, and this would be the tiebreaker game. So, yeah, 38 and 42. Um, yeah, I mean, there's it was obviously paramount that if the Mavericks um, really had any hope of retaining that top 10 pick, that they lose to the Bulls. Um, because even if the Bulls were to go on and win their last game versus the Pistons and the Mavericks would lose to the Spurs, um, it, there still may have been um, just not as good of a chance due to the fact that the Mavericks would have then been tied with the Bulls record-wise, and there's no – they don't divvy up the tiebreakers um, like they do with standings. So, you know, the implication with that is that they have to do a draft lottery for the draft lottery like we saw a few years ago when the Mavericks were tied with the Pelicans and the Grizzlies and the uh, infamous Zion and John Morant draft where Solomon Mejri made sure that um, we did not end up accruing a top-four pick in that draft. But uh, nonetheless – they would have had to basically, you know, um, put the ping pong balls in the machine and uh, suck them up. And then uh, <laughs> they would have had to do that. And um, then they would have, you know, whoever ended up coming up and what have you would have ended up winning the tiebreaker to end up getting dra better draft lottery positioning. So they would have had to do a draft lottery just for draft lottery positioning. Um, if they were to tie and I mean, perhaps, you know, I don't know if the Mavericks didn't mail it in completely in the Bulls game, perhaps they, maybe they didn't, they wouldn't have done so in the Spurs game unless they were completely mathematically eliminated. Uh, they ended up losing the Spurs game, but at the time there was cause for concern that they could still end up winning that. And even after the Bulls game, I think the consensus with the jazz only being uh, a game back from the Mavericks um, yeah. having one game less of a record uh, just with the potential if they were able to beat the Lakers and the Mavericks um, lose to the Spurs and that, that that would force the, you know, the Mavericks to be in that uh, draft lottery for the draft lottery with the Jazz for the ninth best odds, which, you know, would have even been a better situation. But even if that seemed a little bit of a far fetch, had, you know, just losing to the Bulls, um, so long as the, you know, after that, the Mavericks didn't go on to beat the Spurs and the Bulls, who were basically fully healthy, I think, minus, I believe, Zach Levine 
in yeah. that um, Detroit Pistons game. Um, it, it would have been more of an unlikely scenario for the Mavericks to end up beating the Spurs and the Bulls to lose to the Pistons in the final game of the regular season. Um, so it really just kind of came down to that Chicago game. And just to kind of point to how drastic the differences and um, the odds of the Mavericks keeping their pick um, versus if they were had the 10th best draft lottery odds versus the 11th best draft lottery odds. Um, I don't know the exact numbers and do not have the analytics right in front of me, but um, you can go run all the simulations on Tankathon, I believe I did. And um, I believe it's somewhere, it's got to be somewhere in between like 70 to 85% because I think it was 80%. Yeah, well, that that's that was the resultant of the results of my uh, tankathon, rather, uh, because you know when you have no life and you're a host of the Mainstream Mouse podcast, you can have the luxury to run 100 tankathon simulations and then uh, collect the data from that, which I did. And the Mavericks ended up retaining their pick 80 of those 100 times, and this was uh, before the Bulls game, but when the Mavericks still had the 10th best odds to uh, retain their pick out of anybody, so. Um, that's something that odds wise, you can just see how drastic the difference would be. The Mavericks would have a very little chance of retaining their pick. Um, just playing the numbers game had uh, things went on differently. So that Chicago game was uh, paramount to their success, of course. So what did we see in that actual game, Jaron, um, from the Mavericks in terms of the lineups they played and how things, you know, just ended up faring out for them because Luca ended up playing that first quarter. Yeah. Um, but after that, he didn't play the rest of the game. The Mavericks were also without Kyrie Irving, Maxi Kleber, Josh Green, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Christian Wood, who they all subsequently rested to. Um, and I believe in that second game versus Spurs, uh, there was everybody on that list plus Reggie Bullock, unless I stand corrected. Right. Yeah, the only the only player that was listed of uh, the names that you just listed for the Spurs game was I believe Christian Wood was listed healthy or available. At yeah, least. he just didn't play. Yeah. Yeah, something of that that nature. So um, they ended up um, obviously really pulling out the brigade in both of these instances. Um, they cited, you know, injury recovery and all that sort of stuff for both of these. But obviously, it's pretty clear what the agenda was with these guys having played uh, right before this, you know, maybe the only one that's kind of justifiable is Kyrie because of the amount of foot soreness he's been dealing with as of recent. But even then, if they really wanted to, you know, he's been performing at a level to where I think that they would definitely ride him out. So, you know, watching that game, uh, just take me through the emotions that you experienced as you watched the game, as well as how the actual game played out. Yeah, so definitely in a, a must-lose sort of scenario. That's weird to say, but in a must-lose scenario. In your eyes. Uh, yeah, in, in our eyes, yeah, it was a must-lose scenario. I think, uh, yeah, it would not center around other Mavs fans. But yeah, in a must-lose scenario, it definitely seemed like the Mavericks, at least in the first half, were trying to attempt to make a game uh you know Markeith Morris JaVale McGee those are some guys that you know definitely especially Jane Hardy too like those are a lot of guys that you know didn't want to write out the season with two losses um and you know Markeith Morris I think he has some sort of vendetta or uh, vendetta against the Mavericks and you know I don't know what his personal problems are with the Mavericks. I, I think it has to do with Jason. I mean, I, I, yeah, if it's attributed to him not getting enough run in the rotation, I would completely yeah. understand that. But um, it seemed like he was trying to uh, coerce and ruin the Mavericks. Season. So that that's how I viewed it. But definitely, you know, 
throughout that second half, uh, the Mavericks definitely tallied back on and, you know, went on the, the losing train, uh, just pretty much inserting, you know, McKinley Wright, AJ Lawson, who had a hell of a game. Um, I, I believe like the only starter that played throughout that second half was maybe Reggie Bullock for a few minutes. Um, but yeah, in that fourth quarter, I want to say the Mavericks were up by 11 at one point. And this is what kind of warrants an investigation that's kind of uh, going around. Um, yeah, the Mavericks were up by 11 points and it kind of seemed like, you know, a few timeouts here and there, uh, basically, you know, in the huddle, it kind of seemed like, Hey, like, you know, this is a muscle situation, like turn it down a little bit. Uh, and that's kind of what happened, you know, Theo Pinson, McKinley, right. AJ Lawson pretty much after that 11 point lead all kind of went away. Uh, I don't know if there were certain schemes that were run, uh, in order to just kind of, you know, not, not lose, but, you know, make it harder. I don't know what, you know, sort of happened or if just the team was told, Hey, like turn it down a little bit, but you could definitely see a, a sort of motor was lost throughout that game. Or at least throughout that second. I don't half. know. Um, Me personally, I would push back upon that um, narrative. That well, I think people... like between like, you know, the guys that don't play like the, the two way guys, like, the, I mean, they were still continuing, but I just don't think like rotationally, like there was much to run. Uh, at least in that fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak, like, schematically. Yeah. Um, if they started deferring to actions that weren't favorable um, as much, it didn't really appear so to me. I would honestly digress and say that they were just merely trying to, you know, put the least best possible uh, chance of winning the game lineup out there. But I don't think that, you know, as an NBA coach, you can't just flat out tell your players to tone it down or to lose, especially guys that are not making, you know, some of those two-way guys are not making that NBA-level premium money. Um, they're, they're out here fighting for roster spots and whatever they can get, and they're going to, you know, you throw them a bone, they're going to take it. Uh, as we saw A.J. Lawson did, you know, with his putback dunks, um, you know, with his movement shooting throughout that third quarter. I do think that that simple that lineup just simply kind of fell off to a, a better Bulls lineup throughout the course of the second half once the Mavericks played their reserves, but they were um, you know amazingly able to stick it out throughout much of that third quarter. And I mean, I, I do you know understand the investigation in itself. Um, if that was the case, and the Mavericks purposefully you know, played worse, but I, I just think that narrative's overblown. I think it was just merely happenstance uh, given that lineup that was out there. And I mean, a coach at the end of the day has the right to choose which lineup he puts in the game. Um, does the NBA have the right to conduct a formal investigation? In my opinion, not really. Um, I think because of the national media outcry surrounding this situation and just how highlighted it was with Luca and Kyrie and how drastic the turn was to say, no, we don't want to make the playoffs. We want to get this top 10 protected pick. I think that's the reason that they did it in my opinion, but um, conversely, obviously the Mavericks did mail it in the last two games. There's no denying that, but there's been plenty of other teams such as the trailblazers and the jazz who have been doing this ad nauseum for two, three weeks now and been resting even more players. I mean, I saw the Portland injury list the other day and it basically was the entire roster um, that was listed on that injury report, even if some of those guys were like probable or ended up playing. So 
in, in a sense, I do think it's malpractice on the NBA's part uh, to not be more all-encompassing and thorough if, if they do wish to enforce uh, a no-tanking uh, sort of prerogative and no tolerance towards tanking. I, I think that's something that should have been mentioned you know, in this offseason, or I, I don't know exactly what the ramifications of it entail in the new CBA. Uh, I, I'm sure it's addressed somewhere um, at, in some sort of fashion. But I just think for something that's never really been enforced in terms of docking a team of uh, a pick or anything like that, um, it was just merely something that they mentioned that they would start to look into a little bit more at the beginning of this 2022 season. Um, it wasn't any sort of formal agreement or anything like that. It does just seem a little overblown and as if the NBA was just trying to appease the national media outcry because the Mavericks had so much attention uh, you know, shed upon them. And I, I think that, you know, it's a stupid situation uh, would be my sort of um, immediate response to it. I don't think, um, you know, now if the NBA wants to crack down on everybody and this is going to be some sort of new prerogative they installed and Hey, that's fine. Um, but you know, when you're mathematically eliminated and from the playoffs, which the Mavericks were basically all but mathematically eliminated. Me personally, um, if they want to instill something, it's like, hey, if you're not mathematically eliminated, you can't do this, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it, it, there's just too many injuries and things in this day and age to um, play players like that. And so long as it's not obstructing from the fan experience and those injury reports are filed out days before, I personally just don't have a problem with it too much I mean you need certain teams in the NBA to be bad you can't uh I do agree that parity is good and but you know if everybody had a record of like 41 and 41 that would make for a very boring league um in some aspects obviously it'd also be fun as well but you know I, I just think that from the NBA's uh, perspective they should be more keen on cracking down to everybody else if they're going to, at face value, just take the Mavericks because they have the most national media spotlight on them. Yeah, like, I, I think, yeah, my, my views would tend to agree with yours. Like, I, I do know that Adam Silver at the beginning of the season, just regarding the women Yama situation, there was going to be a sort of crackdown or at least an attempt on a crackdown of long-term tanking, uh, you know, with the whole sort of Detroit, San Antonio, that sort of location. But I think, you know, short-term thinking that's been going on for at least since the draft became valuable. Uh, I think, you know, if you're looking at a team that is trying to throw one or two games, the last two games of the season, there shouldn't be really too much investigation in that. Whenever you do have teams like Portland or Utah, who over the last few weeks, you know, technically weren't mathematically eliminated out of the play-in yet. Uh, and, you know, they seemingly were doing their fair share of tanking. So I, I think that it'd be sort of a disservice from the NBA to crack down or even punish the Mavericks for that matter and not even open an investigation on teams like, you know, the Detroits or Houston's or even, you know, the Portland Trailblazers and Utah Jazz. Like, I, I just think that, you know, yes, there's been a sort of national media outcry. And I think that it has to do with the New York pick, whatever it has to do with. Uh, but I, I just think from an NBA perspective, I can understand the nature of the investigation because it is, you know, the roster that was put on the floor and at least the effort, in my opinion, in the fourth quarter. I guess maybe it's because the Mavericks were so, they were on the precipice 
yeah, of they, being they in the play. Chose one path or the other. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, like I see. I, that's why I just think it'd be sort of the NBA doing a disservice to the, the league as a whole if they punished the Mavericks um, or at least got something out of this investigation and they didn't choose to do so with Portland or Utah. Yeah, Jason Kidd declined to comment on the um, investigation in his pregame presser, postgame presser, whatever it was against the Spurs, but um, a lot of fans point to the fact in that postgame presser versus the Bulls. Um, he said, you know, something to the effect that this was an upper management decision and, you know, he was still trying to win every game, uh, something of that nature, and, and alluded to a um, sort of um, systemic uh, attempt to tank. So yeah. we don't know exactly if that's the exact reason that the NBA obviously cracked down the Mavericks, but a lot of fans have annoyed as that, annoyed that as the reason. And I do agree that Jason Kidd definitely could have done a better job about being discreet uh, regarding the matter and maybe have just worded his response to a question like that a little bit more gingerly. But nonetheless, um, it doesn't affect my opinion on the nature of the investigation and the validity of the investigation. And I think yeah. a lot of you guys, even if you wanted the Mavericks to win out and you were spirited and you wanted them to can try to make the play in, which is completely okay. I believe people should be able to fan how they want and that uh, no style of fanning is necessarily a disgrace to your team. So long as you um, aren't a bandwagoner and you ride with yeah. your team amidst the heart and, and the good times you can know you, and you still watch the games and all that sort of stuff. But regardless of which side of the totem pole you're on in that regard, I think we can all agree that um, the validity of this investigation, even if you are team tank or, you know, team go for the play in when that was a thing, I think the validity of this investigation, we can still all agree is uh, probably uh, minute at best. And, you know, the Mavericks are kind of being unfairly uh, pried upon just because maybe they have Luca and Kyrie and they were a little bit higher than most of the teams that were tanking um, and they were still in a competition and level playing field to where they could have realistically made the play in, even if it was a little bit of a far fetch going into that Bulls game. So I think that that may be the reason for some of this, but it is what it is. And we'll keep you guys posted as to how that situation unfolds regarding the NBA's investigation. But if I had to guess, um, just like the investigation that the Mavericks um, gave to the NBA regarding the Golden State Warriors game, uh, I guess not as much an investigation as it was a um, request okay. for yeah. review regarding how the situation unfolded with that Kevon Looney basket that um, helped the Warriors um, funny enough end up winning by two in the end um, I, I think that this won't really bear any results out of it other than a statement by the NBA or something uh, at most maybe a late second round pick by the Mavericks stock but if the Mavericks were to retain their top 10 pick and get docked because of this that would uh that's a whole other story. And if, if we have to do a podcast over that, needless to say, I will be a, it'll not be a, a, it'll be a very grim day in mainstream Mavs land.
I would agree. Um, I would agree. Um, I do know that David Aldridge posted he writes for the athletic, he posted uh, an article and basically he's like, you know, in times past, whenever this has occurred, there's been really nothing of it. And the fact that, you know, the whole Utah and Portland Trailblazer situation unfolded the way it did that, you know, he doubts anything pretty much would come of it is the summation of the article. So, yeah, I think, you know, just from a, a media, national media head of that degree, I, I you know, that's at least a little promising. But yeah. me personally, I don't think anything will come of it. Yeah, I, I mean, especially from a guy that's like really plugged in like that, you know, maybe the I think the NBA, this could just be a sort of a sod that they're doing their due diligence to uh, to appease the outcry of the national media. Um, I could see that being the case, but hopefully it's not anything that actually comes into fruition. Um, other than that, obviously, you know, the Bulls finished that game on that fourth quarter run, uh, sort of riding the coattails of Kobe White and Patrick Williams there against a severely outmatched Mavericks lineup, but not one that I thought wasn't trying or um, anything of that nature. Then, you know, the Mavericks, of course, we segue into the Spurs game uh, when it was a lot more of the same, um, except the Mavericks kind of deferred to playing uh, those reserves and two-way G League guys uh, almost the whole game versus the Bulls game there was at least a brief period where they were um, still being putting on a bit more of a competitive, um, you know, roster out there. What did you uh, come to surmise of the Spurs game from top to bottom? By this time in the day, yesterday, the Bulls had already beat the Pistons. So the Mavericks uh, were safe from that perspective, having already lost the Bulls. Uh, Even if the Mavericks did beat the Spurs, they were still going to have the 10th best odds. But we were still waiting on the results of the Lakers Jazz game to see if the Mavericks, um, if they lost to the Spurs and the uh, Jazz beat the Lakers, the Mavericks could have ended up tying Utah for the ninth best odds in the draft lottery and then having to have done the ping pong ball drawing, but a pair of LeBron daggers from beyond the arc was able to um, set the Lakers ahead and that situation didn't end up mattering. So, um, but by the time that the Bulls would beat the Pistons, this game essentially didn't matter what happened with the map from a Mavericks perspective, but obviously not wanting any of their starters to get hurt in a meaningless game or anything like that. Um, everybody still rests. What did you did you take anything away from the Spurs game other than getting to see um, some increased run from some of these Mavericks reserves? Yeah, I, you know, I'm not going to take too much away from it. You know, C.O. Pinson, he had an amazing game. But then again, actually, you know what? Let's tally back a few weeks. You know, whenever Dylan Brooks made the comments towards Theo Pinson, Theo Pinson is actually given some minutes now and he had a triple double. Do you take any validity to that? Is he a better player than Dylan Brooks? Um, you know, if uh, if you're making me pick on the spot, um, I'm going to say that he's a, he's a better personality in the NBA than Dylan Brooks is. I'll say <laughs> that much. Maybe not a, maybe not a better player, but he's definitely a better personality, better for the agenda that the NBA is trying to promote within their league. But as of yesterday, with all the negative things that uh, sort of dissipated out of the NBA circle with uh, the whole situation with the Timberwolves and then the Clippers with Bones Highland and Mason or Mason Plumley. I always get the Plumley brothers confused. And obviously with the Timberwolves situation with Gobert and uh, Jalen McDaniels as well as uh, Kyle Anderson, we had uh, quite the uh, the stir up before the playoffs are starting. You know, we're we're see we're getting all the mist in the air. It's like you're uh, 
sitting at a Metallica concert and you're kind of just, uh, you know, it's like enter Sandman is uh, the intro is playing and you're sort of just waiting for the, the music and the chaos to unfold uh, is kind of what I would describe yesterday, especially with the uh, Udonis Haslam's breakout performance yeah, in his last regular season game, uh, the, the Thea Pinson triple-double, of course, Peyton Pritchard, 30-point triple-double. I mean, it was a wild... 42 points. Yes, it, it was a wild day of tanking and some players that usually don't play um, role players, that is, you know, just severely outperforming um, in their usual role against uh, other bench players. It was, it was a funny day in the NBA, and uh, one that, uh, surprisingly, in the last day of the season uh, with a lot of matinee games, actually kind of, I think, set the stage for the playoffs and the play-in uh, that's going to be starting um, tomorrow, I tomorrow, believe. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, Jaron, I don't really have uh, necessarily the wherewithal to cover these games uh, schematically and really get into the ins and outs of them uh, from the simple standpoint that they just have little to no bearing. And, um, you know, we all know exactly what happened. We obviously um, gave AJ Lawson his flowers, um, you know, talked about Marquise Morris's performance and how he was trying to ruin the season. But I don't think that there was anybody who played uh, so shocking as to uh, really change my perception of them or give me any sort of takeaways. Hence why it's not going to be our normal post-game podcast. You know, it's the end of the season. We want to get into some of the important questions I hear that Darren and I tend to avoid um, in a lot of these post-game podcasts and route to covering um, the game itself because you know that's what's important at the time but you know when it, that doesn't matter anymore we're not going to just sit here and act like you know we're not like the big picture things just don't matter um I guess going off of that point the last thing thing you know if we you know want to give another special shout out to Theo Pinson for being able to um you know throughout stretches in that second half show that you know he is optimized as a as a ball handler Um, that he is a uh, I'm hesitant to call him a playmaker but you know he is optimized as a sort of ball mover and a guy that can run a pick and roll on occasion Um, we always call him kind of the utility player of all utility players just given that he's really not elite at any one thing nor but he's not bad at any one thing and uh, you know he that's kind of uh, what that triple double was sort of emblematic of you um, but he went out there and he competed, man. And, uh, you know, against uh, even if it was against Blake Wesley and, um, you know, whatever, Sashu Mambukashvili or whatever his name is, um, you know, we got to we got to give Theo some credit because uh, even so, even against that um, level of competition, it's still not every day that uh, he would probably be able to surmise a shooting performance to accrue a triple double or um, get enough positive variance from his uh, teammate shooting performances to get that many assists. Um, and th- that's definitely not something that uh, if he got that normal dosage of minutes in a regular game, we'd ever see him do. So a uh, cool moment for the former um, lead uh, lead ball handler of the North Carolina Tar Heels. You know, maybe he may never fully get to that level in the NBA, but, you know, we can say he damn sure tried now. He did try. He did try. Yeah. And uh, that, that's all that matters. And he had a, uh, a lasting uh, performance. Um, but other than that, Jaron, regard, you know, we obviously already co- covered the investigation by the NBA in this matter. Um, so next, I just kind of want to get into some of the more pressing topics that have surrounded this Mavericks team over the course of the last week or two. Um, first off, we'll start with Luca. 
and his perception upon the Mavericks tanking. Do you think that this is going to sway him in another direction? Because there were obviously, you know, post-game and exit interview comments from him uh, that said that he did not like the Mavericks tanking, but, you know, those are his bosses and uh, they were able to come to a compromise. Um, But conversely, he also um, responded to the whole potential trade request uh, thing that Tim McMahon posted on Twitter uh, where he said that Luca, uh, you know, there may be a sort of growing um, feeling or uh, impetus that Luca could request a trade in the summer of 2024. The Mavericks don't change things up. And uh, Luca kind of responded accordingly to Tim McMahon in a little back and forth funny uh, post-game interview thing that he you know, was committed to this team and wanted to stay here. But obviously, I don't think that that takes away from Tim McMahon's narrative in any fashion because, you know, Luke is kind of doing his due diligence to the team. And, you know, we don't even know what the uh, feeling or vibes or aura is going to be from this team a year from now. Um, but just from the whole thing at face value, do you think that the Mavericks were wrong in their decision to um, mail in the last two games of the season, given their Slovenian superstars um, keenness towards winning and giving it all until there's mathematically no chance. No, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to stick, stick by the Mavericks organization. Uh, I view this much more as like a mature move that the Mavericks had to make uh, in order to kind of at least have a brighter future. Um, so, you know, once those reports came out that Luca would likely request a trade by 2024, if there wasn't marginal improvements or whatever, uh, it definitely got me on the scared train, but whenever he did report, or I guess whenever he did comment on those reports and basically said, I never said anything like that, uh, it had to make you feel a little bit better. And that kind of locked up, not, not my securance, but just sort of, uh, I I guess like a, a level of respect within the organization because again they had to make a tough move uh and yes you know there was some sort of backlash said be uh that you know maybe you would sort of either disrespect or at least anger you know your young superstar uh so I think that taking like sort of ownership in that and actually you know following up and you know honestly creating a better future for yourself definitely has some more hope involved in it so I you know I think that that was definitely a better move um regarding the whole like moving forward thing I still think that they need to operate as though you know Luca has a growing sense of like eagerness um yeah discontent yeah I think that's probably the best way to operate uh especially during this offseason because you never know you know if there is another season like this or at least a first round exit that you know he's 24 years old gonna be 25 next year you know not that the time is taking at all, but, you know, does he really want to be on a team that's just regularly content with being mediocre? Uh, you know, and as a young superstar in the league who honestly could be so much more and so much better uh, if, say, he went to a contending team, you know, he could do those things. But I, I think that, you know, he wants to stick with the loyalty. But for the Mavericks organization, I think that they still need to operate as though, yeah, Luca need Luca is discontent and Luca is having this sort of eagerness feeling that the Mavericks need to make some moves uh, that are needle movers uh, in the sense of that. So I I think that, you know, this is a move that, you know, Luca may not have liked it in the moment, 
Like he knew the the outcome of it. He knew that you know if they won these two games, and you know of course Oklahoma City beat uh, or I forget who they beat, but to pretty much lock up that ten seed, uh, that you know nine times out of ten that this this was probably the smart move. They beat the Jazz, I believe. By yeah, the, the, the Jazz. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but regarding Luca and um, his own, you know, j- agendas dealing with this matter, you know, he's obviously very passionate about what he does, and you can't fault the guy for, you know, as a professional, um, for wanting to really churn it out to the very last minute. It's a, uh, it's admirable, and his uh, his insane desire to win, you know, amidst having really played basketball for almost three straight years with no break. Um, if you're looking at this on a macro scale, um, is very um, admirable to say the least. But, you know, at the same time, it, it just wasn't worth it, um, in our opinion, at least. And, you know, we can debate that, of course. And I, I mean, I personally do think the Mavericks made the right decision. Had they pulled the plug before that Bulls game, I think I would have even expressed discontent because I think that, that at that point, there's just too much of a chance for them to disregard the play in and it would have been malpractice on the, their part to shut him down early earlier than that but you know I, I think that they pulled the trigger when they should have and from that I, I can commend them from you know from a timing standpoint for doing the right thing um, from that perspective but I definitely agree with you that they should still operate as if Luca is not you know pleased with the organization you know I'd be remiss to say that he definitely you know didn't look as happy or as lively and uh, energetic as he usually does in most uh, end of the season campaigns over the last, you know, month or two ish. And uh, I think fans noticed it. A lot of people call him depressed and all this sort of stuff. I'm not here to assume anything in that regard other than what we see um, in the post-game interviews and on the court. You know, I I hope if he is going through anything that he's going to be okay, of course, Um, but I'm not here to assume. And, you know, the facts speak for themselves. He does look, um, a little just but more generally disheartened after some of these, uh, you know, some of these really atrocious losses, um, you know, particularly whether that be at himself or his teammates, we don't know. Um, but you can definitely tell that his spirit isn't what it once was. So I'm, you know, I think he's a really committed guy. He's been loyal at, you know, his previous stops at Real Madrid. And I mean, that's not really a situation, I guess, where people typically switch clubs um, when they're under, um, you know, the age of 18 before they're, as they're trying to develop in Europe. But I mean, you very well could if things weren't working out for you. He, you know, he just seems like he definitely has a sort of love for the city of Dallas though. And he is expressed, he wants to be here, obviously. Um, does that mean that that's going to be the case forever? No, but I, I think that the Mavericks definitely aren't as hard pressed as people are making it out to be to um, need to, just, I mean, they definitely need to work and mend on the situation. Um, but I don't think that it's reached such a dire point that he's for sure requesting a trade this offseason or anything like that. Like they have time to correct this, but if they don't, uh, I would definitely start to get concerned from that standpoint because you just start piling up these losing seasons and they tally up. And now you look back and Luca and his mind is wasted like two, three years of his valuable prime towards the end of his contract. Um, so, you know, whether it's next offseason, the offseason after that, could Luca request a trade? Sure. But, you know, circumstances prevailing, let's hope it doesn't get to that. Um, but I definitely don't think, given his answers from any of these exit interviews or anything like that, uh, 
that he is going to request a trade this summer. And I think the Mavericks, like you said, Jaren, should still operate or operate with a level of um, cautiousness surrounding him and his potential, um, you know, requesting of a trade or departure um, in the coming summers. But uh, they still have really a, at least a season to fix this and they need to uh, try to attempt to that as much as possible while he is still on their side. And, you know, he's still able to agree to a decision like this, despite his best wishes um, without it, without it, you know, pushing him over the bridge um, and, you know, being that defying factor or defining factor. That's like, Hey, like, you know, this is the last straw. I'm, I'm done, man. So they, they uh, obviously have to get it together and there's no doubt about that, uh, but we'll see exactly what happens in regards to that. What did you think of Mark Cuban's uh, comments as, you know, the end of the season unfolded? There was a lot to be made about, you know, he had a little bit of a pregame uh, interview with Brad Townsend before that Kings game. Um, and just, you know, I think he said a little bit of stuff afterwards and in regards to the, you know, whole situation with the NBA and cracking down the Mavericks and stuff. What What is your general um, feeling out of some of the things that he said? And, uh, you know, obviously it doesn't really seem like there's going to be any change in ownership uh, this coming offseason. But uh, how uh, confident are you in his abilities uh, to structureize, even if, you know, that is technically Nico Harrison's job? We know Mark Cuban does at least have uh, some sort of defining factor in these roles. Uh, how, how confident are you in his ability to uh, craft a team that is going to be, uh, you know, within the upper echelon of the Western Conference next year? Well, see, I, I know how we're going to say this. You were smiling while saying that, so... I think pretty much our uh, beliefs stay true with each other. Um, you know, with, you know, Mark Cuban under the helm, pretty much taking, uh, we know what he does. Like, I, I just don't think that, you know, the Mavericks can really build a championship level roster unless, until they're forced to, I guess, if that makes any sense. Um, so I think that, you know, with this whole Luca situation that we pretty much touched up on for 10 minutes, um, I think that this might force some sleight of hand with the, within the Mavericks organization to make some desperate moves and, you know, not make desperate moves in the sense of, you know, win now, make the worst moves for the future. Uh, I think that there's still, you can operate with swiftness to, you know, tend to future needs, but also tend to the now. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, as long as they take their dose of medicine throughout the season and learn from their mistakes, I do think that you can move forward. The number one thing that you have to do, and we didn't see this happen off uh, last year, was you have to re-sign Kyrie Irving. Last year, of course, was Jalen Brunson. But I think as long as you can tend to that, that's at least an improvement over off, over last season. Um, you know, the whole Christian Wood situation, it kind of seems more and more uh, every day that he's not going to kind of – he's not going to come back in a Mavericks uniform. So I don't That's think definitely that, something that yeah. I would like to dive into – as its own podcast because the Christian Woods situation is just so multifaceted in terms of, you know, how him and the Mavericks kind of screwed themselves over, but mostly the Mavericks screwing him over. Yeah. Uh, just a lot of layers to that, but, you know, I definitely wanted to also touch up on it at face value. I do agree that obviously, you know, at the forefront from an asset perspective, of course, from how he played this season as he closed down the stretch, you know, amazing offensively Kyrie Irving is the, you know, number one most integral thing the Mavericks need to do this offseason is re-signing yeah. him. Um, if they fail to do that, 
regardless of if they get this top 10 pick, um, this team is just not going to have the uh, proverbial ceiling that they would have. Um, they're, they're probably not going to be able to trade for somebody as good as him unless they give up basically the whole shipyard of assets that they have at this point. And um, they're probably not going to luck into some sort of guy in free agency that's going to end up being near as good as him if he does leave and him and Christian Wood leaving creates that cap space. So while they aren't just totally out of options, um, if we have to fall into some of those contingency plans, um, it, it is a, a organizational failure at that point after the Jalen Brunson situation that they just cannot afford to sustain. And, you know, we know that Kyrie is obviously voiced, um, not necessarily voiced, but I mean, he, he seems as if he likes it here in Dallas and he's really thoroughly enjoyed his time. The, the media, I think, you know, has treated him really well. Um, and asked him, you know, relatively fair questions, barring maybe his first few days here. And he, you know, seems to enjoy his teammates, the vibes around the team. I don't think there's any problems with Luca. You know, obviously there's a lot of national media stuff that's getting stirred up because of the Mavericks failures. But as guys who watch this team every day and do this podcast after every game, we can confidently say that Luca and Kyrie together are not the problem. And the Mavericks have much larger problems at hand here. Um, so it'll be interesting to obviously see how that situation unfolds as um, basically probably the most uh, premium thing that the Mavericks will be dealing with this offseason. Um, but we, we obviously hope that it unfolds for the best because uh, it, it'll be if we start getting reports of Kyrie wanting to go elsewhere, which I mean, I'm not really throwing away as a possibility because there's obviously been conflicting reports and you know Cuban obviously came out and said he he thinks he wants to be here I think Nico reiterated that in a radio interview and but you know there's also been Sham saying that he'll explore different uh you know markets and things of that nature so we definitely are going to be covering that ad nauseum as the lead up to this offseason ensues um but also I think there's a quiet confidence that Kyrie will come back because you know, he, he did say this trade was for the long term. And, uh, you know, you make a trade like that at the deadline for a guy like that. I mean, it, it would just be uh, it would just be uh, totally, you know, the absolute worst case rendezvous to a few months later, then have to backtrack and sign somebody else. And it would just be a lot of upheaval. So hopefully they can retain him and, you know, find the surrounding pieces beyond him and Luca, because that'll be the goal this summer. Um, but we'll just have to see at the end of the day. A lot has been made about Jason Kidd's uh, coaching performance this season, but he has already kind of been denoted as the head coach for next year by Mark Cuban um, without a shadow of a doubt um, in recent comments. So, you know, what do you think of how Jason Kidd fared this off? I mean, how do you think he fared this season? And do you think that he is deserving to come back as the coach next year? Or do you have gripes about his coaching style? And do you think that he adversely affected this team uh, so much so that um, we shouldn't give him any sort of benefit of the doubt and that he should be out as head coach? Like, uh, you know, this is a it's a confusing sort of topic or at least one that, you know, warrants more than just a segment of a podcast. But, you know, Jason Kidd had some questionable decisions, especially just surrounding, you know, the roster and rotations and everything like that. Um, or at least what kind of product he would put on the floor. 
regarding the whole Christian Wood situation. So I, I, I do think that, you know, he's not totally scot-free in that situation. Um, but I'm going to go more of the light note of I think that he handled the situation, at least the last half of the season, I think that he handled the situation probably the best that he could have. Because, um, like, being real, you know, there's just so much sort of drama, uh, at least that sort of last 18 games after the Kyrie trade, uh, and also just a lot of questions surrounding the team uh, after that sort of, you know, bad last half of the season. So I, I think that, you know, as a head coach, you know, there was definitely some things that he could have done differently. I'm not saying that he's totally scot-free, like I said, but I, I do think that, you know, he handled the situation not as best as he could have. I, I didn't really mean to say that, but he handled the best way, best he handled the situation as good as he could have, um, just given the sort of roster that he has. Uh, I, I do think that, you know, especially, you know, the whole clutch time woes and everything like that. I, I just think that, you know, is he the right guy going forward? You know, who knows? But I, I do think, you know, with this whole experiment and with Kyrie and Luca, um, and just in the sense of, you know, trying to keep Kyrie, I think that, you know, Jason Kidd's probably the best candidate to do so. Uh, I don't feel like, you know, Kyrie would want to play for anyone else uh, because we not, not that he'd want to play for anyone else. That's, you know, I didn't mean to say that, but like, he knows what he's going to get in Dallas, assuming Jason Kidd returns. Yeah, I mean, uh, I the, think there's like I, a safety curtain, at least. Yeah. Kyrie returns, uh, or at least if he wants to return with Jason. Yeah, Kidd. I mean, I'm at the end of the day, you have a fellow point guard of, you know, African-American descent that has been through the ringer as a basketball player, you know, multiple time all-star. He understands playing that position. Um, he understands the pressure it involves, you know, he understands what it feels like to be ridiculed by the media as a player uh, throughout some of the things that Jason Kidd had to deal with. Um, but, you know, in his personal life and what have you. So I think that there's a sort of a relatability there. I don't, I don't know exactly what their relationship is. I don't really think a whole lot has been reported about it, but I, I can imagine that it's one that's fairly fruitful and, uh, you know, sort of a, in, in a team structure, uh, codependent as they try to gain knowledge from each other and, you know, hope to optimize the team together. So uh, from that perspective, uh, I do tend to agree with you from that point but I I do hear the the outcry for the the fire Jason Kidd brigade you know even we were on it for a little brief moment there yeah you know just given some of the clutch time woes that persisted with this team and you know the stark drop off in defensive uh capability from year to year despite the personnel not changing a whole lot um as well as you know just some of the lineups that Jason Kidd played down the stretch there um and throughout the season, you know, there was obviously calls for optimization more at the lineups. I think personally, you know, are there better head coaches out there for this Mavericks team? Uh, even given the whole circumstance surrounding Kyrie, like, yeah, uh, there, there probably is better head coaches out there. There probably are more optimal head coaches in terms of how they would, you know, marginally improve the rotation. And I mean, given how close the Mavericks missed the playing by, I mean, Hey, like, a better head coach potentially could have thrusted just one or two more wins to have made the play in it. I mean, I, I don't think that that's totally ludicrous. You know, the, the timing of Jason Kidd's timeouts, obviously I, I think fans were a lot less keen to him after that Western conference finals run, but you know, I haven't totally gave up on him. And like you said, I don't really attribute most of the problems um, of this team to him, but more so the personnel of this of his team 
you know, I, I do think that there are some things he could have done to have, you know, help this team be a little more steadfast in terms of how much they were able to stay on track all season. Um, but, you know, that being said, it's not him who's playing at the end of the day. So I'm not here to fully endorse him. And, you know, I think uh, another one of these type of seasons or even a season that's 75% of this, this much bad uh, would definitely warrant pulling the plug completely. Um, but, you know, I'm not even saying that we should give him the benefit of the doubt in any situation. Like we should still be hypercritical of moves from now on, especially given this season. But, um, you know, I, I don't, if, if their organization wants to rock with him, uh, you know, me personally, maybe I would opt for another coach, but the organization wants to rock with him and given the potential implications, you know, with the Kyrie relationship, things like that, you know, I'm, I'm not really hard pressed about it, I guess. Um, but just more so hoping that some of those things within the margins he can start winning upon again, uh, such as his rotations and defense that we did see from him. Because, you know, it's not like we haven't seen Jason Kidd been able to optimize a rotation and a defense like he was able to uh, with that Western Conference Finals run. We just didn't see it this year for whatever reason. And uh, there was a, just a big change of pace in that regard. So we'll have to, of course, see how that situation unfolds. But, you know, I, I'm not uh, operating under a sense of, uh, contempt or, you know, I'm just ready to completely shut the door on him yet, even if you, you know, made me choose and I, I would probably prefer some other candidates for sure, or um, some other active head coaches, I would definitely rather just throw into the Dallas role. Um, but, you know, it is what it is and we're going to roll with it. Um, other than that, Jaron, what do you make of the Mavericks um, potential ability to retain their top 10 pick we obviously talked about the whole sinking tanking situation at the beginning of the podcast but how just integral how important to this team would it be from an asset perspective if they were able to retain this top 10 pick this summer and how well how, how much more limited would they be in terms of uh, their flexibility this offseason say if that top 10 pick ends up conveying to new york and ends up falling to 11 or 12 yeah i think as from an asset perspective uh, I mean, you just look around this roster and you look at the the sort of draft capital that this team holds. There's really not, you know, any sort of assets that you can use for any future trades or at least any, you know, big needle moving trades. So I think having a top 10 pick, especially in this year's draft, um, assuming that we retain that pick, uh, it, it would just be huge. You know, there's so many options that you can do with it. You can, you know, use that 10 pick or if you get even farther up in the draft uh you know you can use that draft pick to like we said a minute ago you can trade uh for you know miles turner or whoever you want to look at just sort of like a center or you know someone who improves this team very marginally uh i think that you can use it for that benefit or you can even draft uh i do know that there's a number of names in this like taylor Hendricks. you can even trade back and possibly get a Derek lively uh, like there's there's a number of guys in this draft that you know would benefit this team. I don't know if right away benefit this team would be the right answer, but there's just a lot of options that you can choose uh, so surrounding this draft pick, whether yeah trading back or using this as an asset to trade for someone who we know can produce on the court. Yeah, I would definitely tend to reciprocate with you in regards to you know your viewpoints on how important that top 10 pick is and the flexibility would allow, you know, whether the Mavericks want to accrue, um, you know, future top 10 picks, 
um, by trading back or getting one more future top 10 pick or future first round pick rather, and, um, you know, get another player in return. They have that option, you know, select another player in the back half of the draft and get more picks, um, you know, put the top 10 pick in tandem with some other contracts to try to get something really sweet, you know, trade the top 10 pick and then make other trades on the side. Like it would just give this team so much more avenues to improve that um, just given how high that pick is in a pretty loaded draft class at, at front um, that this team simply wouldn't have. And, you know, obviously this would involve the 2024 pick conveying to the Knicks regardless, and we would not get that. But I, I think I honestly, it, face value you know they're both pretty two talented draft classes but just given the situation uh, regarding the Mavericks with how dire this team is in in need of a, a sort of roster rehaul and uh, invigoration of defense I, I think I would rather certainly have um, as high of a pick as this could potentially be versus you know maybe a fifth some pick in like the 15 to 30 range uh, wherever the Mavericks end up lying next year, or I mean, they could be in the lottery. Who knows? But um, I, I think with without certain, you know, with certainty, I would probably choose the former from that perspective. Um, but other than that, that's just sort of a look ahead to the things that we'll be talking about um, more extensively this off season. There's a lot to wrap up with this season, but it was definitely one of disappointment um, and despair, as you kind of alluded to there, Jaron. At the same time, you know, could it yield positive results with this whole pick thing? Yes, but that's obviously not what we wanted at the beginning of the season. I'm not going to act like this was the best case scenario. I think I would have rather have built up a continuity with Luca and Kyrie and, you know, one maybe even a series with them and just had more momentum and, you know, then kind of be able to judge things off that. But from an asset management perspective, this could be a sort of blessing in disguise um, even though there is a sort of sketchy and just dark feeling around this team at the moment with all the events that have transpired really over the last few weeks. And it sucks, but, you know, it's over and we can look ahead and at least the Mavericks aren't, you know, we don't, from one perspective, even if you did want to make the playoffs, at least it's not going to, you know, we're not going out um, in embarrassing fashion in the playoffs or anything like that. Uh, this team at least adhered to their limits. Um you know, maybe you you can't be reciprocal to that uh, feeling or viewpoint, but it is at least um, good, in my opinion, that they don't, you know, they aren't forced to, you know, potentially get more injuries, uh, have to play in a, you know, first round series uh, that just wouldn't be worth it for an organization that has failed so drastically um, from a defensive perspective to, uh, the point where their encore product, you know, if, if they're not making threes um, at an absolute insane clip, they um, they just have a very low sustainability um, in terms of their ability to win basketball games. Um, but we had a really fun season with you guys, and we really appreciate all the support. Um, Jaron, is there anything else regarding those Mark Cuban comments? Because I know we kind of use that as a sort of, a, you know, deviator to uh, split up how we talked about uh, the sort of centripetal issues with this team going into the off season. Um, that, were there any like comments that he made that sort of like rub you the wrong way or anything like that before 
we in this podcast, you know, you, ha- you have the floor. Um, you know, all blame should be put on Rick Brunson and Jalen Brunson's mom. That's all I have to say. So, oh yeah, that, that, you know, <laughs> I didn't really want to get into the whole Brunson situation because this is a sort of wrap up of this season, of course. Um, but you know, the whole, the, the antics, um, in that Cuban interview were definitely at a premium and, you know, denoting, uh, the, the take foul. And, yeah, the, the take foul was the big problem. That was yeah, it. and then the, the the change in play style, which I really don't think there's been really any variance um, in play style in the NBA from the 2021-22 season to the 2022-23 season. Uh, but Mark Cuban denoted that as the reasons as to why this team uh, ended up not performing up to standard. Uh, you know, he could have just not answered the question, not done that segment with Brad Townsend willingly before the game, <laughs> or you know, he could have just been honest and not gave the PR friendly answer and say and said what he knows in his heart of hearts that, you know, it was um, him and the uh, upper management fault, upper management's fault in terms of how the season turned out as well as, um, you know, maybe uh, Jason Kidd a little bit too. But at the end of the day, that's not a, a luxury we can afford. We we have to get the, the um, this, the, the answers that, you know, rub you as cringeworthy and uh, also come out as arrogant to the national media. So that, that's always a good one. But at the same time, you know, like I said, well, the season didn't turn out the way it hoped. I really did enjoy my time on this podcast and it definitely provided me and Jaren a source of motivation to know what we wanted to do in regards to this podcast. And that's to continue to do it, you know, just because the Mavericks didn't end up finishing as, you know, exciting or, fun as last year with the whole you know run to the western conference finals which sort of invigorated um us doing the podcast you know it was at least part of that um even though the the exact uh, the the sort of straw that broke the camel's back was the christian wood trade that's what like pushed us over the hump and it's funny to see how that situation evolved where he's probably not going to be on the team next year and there's just a lot of discontentment with how both him and the mavericks ended up operating within that situation but you know more so the mavericks it's funny to see just less than a year from now how that 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 event basically single-handedly um you know i'm not going to say it started our podcast but it, it pushed us over the edge yeah see that um there's just been such a drop off in how things went since then you know we were when we first started this podcast we were it was a few days out from when all the the smoke on brunson really came into fruition and you know we had an optimistic outlook about him coming back we were not certain but you know we were we were definitely damn near certain. I, I think we were more certain that he was going to stay than our confidence levels are with Kyrie at the moment, even though, you know, it was, it was definitely like a 90, 10, 85, 15 scenario for us in terms of how we thought that was going to play out and to see how things have changed so drastically has definitely been humbling. You know, I think that me and Jaron were like, Oh, like we could be covering a championship team in our first year. Like, you know, that's, not the luxury that, that we got here. And uh, we, uh, you know, of course, we're, we're humbled by that. And also, um, you know, and while it sucks, you know, the journey along the way is really cool. And, you know, these are the moments where you really, uh, you really figure out the, the true fans and you uh, sort through the weeds and sift through all the BS. And, uh, you know, we, we really grow something special with you guys because, you know, I'm sure that we'll have a lot more people riding with us when the Mavericks are, 
you know, whenever the day comes that they're more prominent and the team is doing a lot better. Um, it, it's just natural that we'll get more positive traffic and, uh, and people interacting with us. But for those of you that have stuck through the vines, uh, despite everything that has persisted this season with all the issues. And I mean, we'll go more in depth into all everything we talked about today. We just kind of wanted to do a general wrap up of the season. Um, you know, when, it, we really do appreciate it from you guys and it does mean a lot to us and we plan on going full fledged into this thing. We got a lot of special things planned uh, for this podcast and we plan on really uh, optimizing it. Even if Jason Kidd can't optimize the Mavericks lineups, uh, we plan on optimizing the mainstream Mavs um, content for you guys over the you know, coming months and years. So uh, that's really all we have for today. Uh, we got a really special episode dropping tomorrow. Um, that will be a sort of season wrap up, if you will, in a sense. Um, but at the same time, it will also um, be something that kind of looks ahead to the f- future and um, as well as uh the kind of looking at the present as well. It's going to kind of have all three aspects of that. Um, So we're really excited for that episode and eager to get forward to it. Um, But other than that, we will catch you guys in the next one. Uh, Make sure to follow us on Twitter at mainstream underscore mass. Make sure to um, follow us on Spotify or Apple podcasts or wherever you get your listening platforms. Uh, We would really appreciate that. Uh, Make sure to give us a five-star rating if you so please. Um, Make sure if you guys are on YouTube to like, comment, and subscribe. Um, comment what uh, what do you think is going to happen in the next mainstream episode? What what's going to happen within the next mainstream Mavs episode? Comment down below what you guys think it is going to be because um, we do got some fun stuff coming up. It can be anything. You could think that Jaren's about to uh, bring a goat onto the podcast, so you'll just have to stay tuned. But other than that. Uh, We really appreciate you guys and we will catch you guys in the next one.